It's good to have you in the Lord's house today. Uh, last week, we preached from Genesis chapter 14, uh, a sermon entitled, Going to Battle for Our Families. And if you'll remember, uh, Abraham had a nephew, Lot, who lived in the city of Sodom. Uh, some kings attacked uh, Sodom and took captive all the people. Abraham found out about that, and so he armed the uh, trained soldiers in his own household, and he went out to battle to rescue his nephew. And the whole point of the message last week was, we need to be fighting for our families. We need to be going to battle for those who are in need. Do, do you know family members, though, who just uh, make one bad choice after another bad choice, and uh, one time after another time, they just keep getting in trouble. You know, you know anybody like that? Well, Abraham had somebody like that in his family. It was, again, his nephew Lot. You know what? Abraham never gave up on Lot. And he kept interceding for Lot. He kept praying for Lot. He kept going to battle for Lot. And friends, you need to do the same thing for your family today as well. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. And I'm going to reintroduce you to this man named Lot. In fact, we're going to call him Mr. and Miss Lot. Uh, they have two daughters. They live in the ancient city of Sodom. Mr. Lot moved his family to Sodom several years before when he and his uncle Abraham had some kind of disagreement. It seems like the servants of Lot started fighting with the servants of Abraham. And Abraham, being the wise man he was, said the land is not big enough for both of us. So uh, nephew, you get to choose. Do you want the valley or do you want the mountains? And the Bible says that Lot looked out there and he saw the plains and he saw the prosperous city of Sodom. And so he chose the good land. All right. And he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Why? Because it was a prosperous place in spite of the fact that the Bible says that the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. But you know what? While Mr. Lot had his ambitious eye on Sodom, God had his holy eye on Sodom. The Bible tells us that for some time there had been an outcry against the city of Sodom because of its wickedness. So in Genesis chapter 18, God sends some angels first to visit Abraham and Sarah. And the first part of the visit was a pretty cool visit. It was a good visit. It was on an up note. These two angels, along with a third heavenly being, which many believe was Jesus Christ Himself, started talking to Abraham and said, Abraham, we know that you're old, but God made you a promise to give you a son. And guess what? By this time next year, you're going to have that son. That, that was a miracle itself because both Abraham and Sarah were way too old to be having babies. All right? The Bible says that Sarah was in the tent. She heard this and, and she laughed within herself and said, there, there ain't no way I'm going to have a baby. But you know what? God can do miracles. Amen? And sure enough, they, they did have that baby. Well, the second half of the chapter goes on and the two angels make their way down from the hill going towards the city of, of Sodom. And right in the middle of the chapter, it's really kind of interesting because God is having a converse, conversation with himself. He's, he's asking... Do, do I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? And God deduces because Abraham is such a godly man that God is going to tell Abraham what he's up to. And so he does. He says, 
Abraham, those, those two angels are headed to Sodom and they are going to annihilate the city. Now immediately, Abraham goes to battle once again because he knows who's in Sodom. His nephew is still down there with his wife and with his two daughters. And so he begins interceding. He begins begging to God. He says, God, let me ask, if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom, would, would you still destroy the city? If there's 50 righteous, would you save the city? And the Lord said, okay, Abraham, if, if I find 50 righteous people in that wicked city, I will save the whole city because of 50 righteous people. And then Abraham starts lowering the number. <laughs> he said, well, Lord, what about 45? If, if you can find 45 righteous, will you do it? And God says, yes, I will. And then he went down to 40, to 30, to 20. And finally, finally, Abraham begs, Lord, if you, if you find 10 righteous people, would you save the city on behalf of ten righteous people. And what God said, yes, yes, I'll do that. So here are these two angels of the Lord going down to make a final evaluation of the moral scene in the city of Sodom. And if they can't find ten righteous people, that city is going to be destroyed. Well, chapter 19 begins with Mr. Lot sitting in the gate of the city and he, he sees these two men approaching. He probably doesn't realize that they are angels from God, but he welcomes them into the city and he extends his hospitality to them. He says, please come to my house and spend the night. Well, the angels say, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to spend the night on the street. And Mr. Lot answers, oh, don't do that. Don't, please don't do that. The, the streets in my city are very unsafe at night. Come on, stay at my house. And so Literally, he drags them to his house. There, Lot prepares a hot meal for them, and just about the time they are to turn in for the night, there was beating on the door of Lot's house. There were men shouting outside. In fact, his house was surrounded. It was a mob scene, the most depraved and evil that you could imagine, even by 21st century standards. You see, all of the men of Sodom, both young and old, were at Lot's door. They were yelling at Lot to turn over these two guests. And remember who these two guests are. They are angels of the Lord. They are saying, turn over these two guests so that we can engage in homosexual activities with them. Wow. Wow. Mr. Lot stepped out on the front porch and he tried to reason with the sinful mob. And what he does next is impossible for me to comprehend or understand. He, he says, calm down, guys. Don't do this. Hey, I've got two daughters in the house. You can have your way with them. Just leave these men out of it. They're my guests. I, I can't comprehend that. I, I, I don't know where he was coming from. I'm not even going to try to explain it. <laughs> The evil mob shouts back, Get out of the way! Who are you to boss us around? We can take care of you. And the mob stormed the front door. Well, just in the nick of time, these angels reached out, grabbed Lot, sucked him back into the house, and then they smote the crowd with blindness. Everybody became blind. They, they couldn't find the door. They were groping in the darkness. Back inside, the two angels looked sternly at Mr. Lot and said, 
If you have any other family members in this city, you need to get them out of here quickly. We are agents of God's judgment and this city is about to be annihilated. Because they couldn't find ten righteous people. Mr. Lot quickly began to speak to his relatives. He spoke to the men to whom his two daughters were engaged to be married to and said, hey guys, you got to get out of here. God's judgment is about to rain down on this city. And virtually they laughed at him. He said, that's not going to happen to our city. Morning came and the angels challenged Mr. Lot again. Hey dude, you got to get out of here. Get your daughters and your wife and hightail it out of this city. It's about to be destroyed. Well, Mr. Lot couldn't get it through their thick skulls, the severity of the situation, and so they hesitated. Finally, these two angels, who were not only the angels of God's judgment, but also the angels of God's mercy, took these, this family by the arm and led them out of the city. Then the angel said to Mr. Lot, run for your life. We are about to bring fire and brimstone down on this city. And whatever you do, don't look back. Run and don't look back. Once Mr. and Miss Lot and their daughters were at a safe distance, guess what? The fire fell. The fires of God's judgment fell on the city of Sodom and burned it to the ground, destroying all the wicked citizens of the city. Tragically, Miss Lot didn't do what the angels told them to do. She looked back. And the Bible says when she turned and looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. Reminds me of the story of the little Sunday school class. The teacher was telling these kids in her class the story, and, and she, she made the statement, uh, Miss Lot looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Little Johnny raised his hand and said, this past week, my mama looked back and turned into a telephone pole. We were needing a laugh right there because it, this is pretty severe stuff, isn't it? This is weighty stuff. Now look with me to the conclusion of the story. Genesis chapter 19, verse 27. It says, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and he saw and beheld the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. You know what, church? I've got to stop right there and say, God bless Abraham. Really, I'm telling you, God bless Abraham. The godly uncle who stood there looking down into the valley at this incredible scene of God's judgment on a vile and sinful city. It was Abraham who stood in the gap. It was Abraham who had begged God. And God saved Lot and his family. Somewhere above the valley, Lot and his daughters, no doubt, were thinking back on the close call that they had and the lessons that they had just learned through it all. And believe you me, there are some lessons we can learn from Lot. Lessons we better learn. Lessons that our families need to learn in the 21st century. What are they? Lesson number one, 
The world we live in is a spiritual war zone. I've been watching the news the last couple of weeks, and, and, and I'll tell you, I'm stunned and, and really I'm heartbroken at, at, at all the violence that is going on in the Middle East right now with all artillery fire and bombs going off and cities being blown up. You look at, you look at neighborhoods and the houses are destroyed and, and people are, are, are trying to get their way through the, the, the debris of that city. And, and, I, and I've had the thought, you know what, what, what if that kind of violence happened right here in Fort Smith? What if that happened to us? What if bombs were going off in this neighborhood and buildings were being destroyed? And families were being displaced and people were being killed. What if that were happening here? You, let me, this is just a side note. Let me tell you, it could happen very easily here. But then it dawned on me as I was watching that news and looking at those pictures. It is happening. There is a war going on right here in my neighborhood. It's a spiritual war zone. Really, when you think about Sodom of Abraham's day about 4,000 years ago, it is uncanny the similarities to our own world today where sinful behavior prevails. You see, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were notorious for sexual perversion. The very name Sodom even today is a synonym for homosexual behavior. Really, that, that picture of Sodom, that city of Sodom, stands for everything that is against God. Everything that God hates. God couldn't even find ten righteous people there. It is a perfect biblical picture of what the Bible calls the world. It's the world. This world is the spiritual war zone where we live. It's where we're trying to raise our families. There are some things we need to know about this war zone called the world. A couple of things. We must be alert to, number one, this world's ruler. Who's at the helm of this? Well, 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Who is that wicked one? Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So it's the devil. He's ruling this world. And while we know that the devil is a defeated enemy, he is still extremely powerful and he is very dangerous. He works with his evil angels called demons and their task to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Guys, listen to me. Make no mistake. He is not your buddy. He's not your friend. No matter how he disguises himself and no matter what he tempts you with, nor the promises he makes to you. His objective for you and your family is to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. So be alert to the world's ruler. Secondly, be alert to the world's rules. The devil has some rules that he plays by. 
he's got certain rules, but he keeps changing the rules. Don't you hate it when you're playing a game with somebody and they constantly change the rules so that they can get the advantage? Uh, or that I shouldn't have said that because now you're thinking about people you're mad at. And you don't, you know. Huh. Mm. The world's rules. What are they? First John chapter two verse fifteen. Do not love this world. There's that word again. Okay. Do not love this world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God lives forever. So the world has a ruler, and the world has certain rules. The Doom Testament speaks of the world here as a system of attitudes and values that are opposed to God's attitudes and values. And these rules are embodied by the people of the world. It's the way the world thinks. It's the way the world operates. Now, the world's rules are on display very prominently. We see them every day. They're found in the media, in our music on the television, in the movies that we watch. And if we are not careful, we will be swayed by these ideas and these attitudes and these values. It can even happen to Christians. If you don't understand you're living in a war zone and the devil is trying to sway you, you can be sucked into the world system. Years ago I was in a uh, philosophy of religion class at seminary. And our professor spent one whole day talking about this, this ideal, this attitude that is prevalent in our world today. And, and he said it like this. He said, every time you turn on the news and watch a commentary of a news segment, understand you're not seeing and understanding reality and the truth and the way things really are. Because even those news commentators are taking a piece of history that has just happened or a current event and they are putting it with their slant. They are telling it to you with their slant, their ideals, their philosophy, their attitude. And guys, I don't need to tell you that 90% of, of our news is from a liberal slant. And they don't always show us the truth. They don't tell us the whole story. They will show you on the 6 o'clock news what they want you to see. And what they want you to hear. And if we are not careful, our hearts can be enticed by the attitudes and the values of the world that most of the time are directly opposite of what God thinks. Now understand this. Just like God had Sodom in the crosshairs of His righteous judgment, he also has his eye on this world that we're living in. The Bible tells us what will happen to the ruler of this world and to the rules of this world. What are they? 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world is passing away. In fact, this world is going to be destroyed just like Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And the lust thereof. But he who does the will of the Father abides or lives forever. That's good news for Christians. That's good news for the church. 
We're going to live forever. So as Christ followers, we not only are different, we need to live differently. We need to be different. Romans 12, 2 tells us, And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. One paraphrase of that verse says, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. James 4, 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So guys, listen to me. What it's saying is this. We are in a spiritual war zone. And you cannot remain neutral. You're in the midst of it, man. You're on one side or the other. Huh? This war is happening all around us. So what should be our attitude about this war and about the world in which we live? Well, I believe our attitude is this. We should love the world. We should love this world in the sense that God loves the world because God wants to see the world saved. For God so loved the... Same world, sinful world. God so loved the sinners of this world that He gave His only begotten Son. However, we are not to be enticed or to worship the world because this world is not our home. Hmm? I know you're sitting here and you're thinking, dude, how can I do that? I mean, you're talking in circles, man. I, I work in the world. I live in the world. I go to school in the world. How, how am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to be some kind of monk or monkette? No. Listen to me, no. A thousand times no. That's not what God is asking of us here. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. It, 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 let me tell you something. There are times that I've just wanted to become a, a, you know, a Christian monk and escape from it all. I've got a dream of, I used to have a dream of going to Colorado up in the mountains, but Colorado has become so liberal, I don't think I want to go there now. Just to get away from it all. You know, to live on the little house on the prairie somewhere. You know? Not have to see all this and go through all this. Wouldn't that be great? But you know what? That's not what God has called us to. That's not where God wants us. God wants us as believers right on the battle line, right in front of the gates of hell, trying to compel people to go the other way. And as I've been preaching this past month, we are to make a difference. If this world is going to get any better, it's going to be because you make it a better place. Every day we must fight the battle not to get sucked into the world's rules. We don't have to become like the world to win the world. But let me tell you what, when you begin compromising your beliefs in an attempt to win the world, you're not going to win the world. The world is going to ruin you. Understand this, God loves the people of the world, all of them, the good, the evil, the bad, the mean. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to Him for everlasting life. So here we see Lot struggling to keep his family intact 
in that incredibly evil and hostile environment. Lot and his family were in the minority. And so are you. The first lesson is that the world where our families live is a spiritual war zone. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want my family to become a casualty. Okay? So, number two, lesson number two, our families need godly leaders who will protect them. I thought I'd get a big amen for that. Come on now. Our families need some godly leaders who are going to stand in the gap and protect them. An article appeared in Psychology Today not long ago about absentee fathers. Really, the summary of the article is, is that missing fathers are linked to the downfall of the family and to especially daughters' early sexual activity. And, and I, let me I know it's a big problem. An absent father in the house, it just... It, it doesn't make the house complete. The home is not, is not what God established the home when, when the father is missing. Whether he abandons his family and walks out or whether there is a tragedy and, and the father dies, the, 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 the family suffers from that. I understand all that. But what I'm here to tell you is this. What is much worse is a family in which the father is physically there and taking up space in the family, but spiritually he's absent. He may be there in physical form, but he is absent morally and spiritually from his home. He's not being a good leader in his house. That's tragic. The story of Genesis 19 begins with Lot. Understand who Lot is. Lot is the husband. And Lot is the father of how many daughters? Two. He's sitting in the gateway of the city. Most biblical scholars believe that that was an indication that Lot was a man of influence in the city. I do know that when Lot first went there, he was a very wealthy man. So he's an influential man in some degree. The, the city gate in that day is kind of like city hall today. and That's where Lot was sitting. So I've got to wonder, I've got to ask myself, why wasn't he doing something about the evil atmosphere in his city? Because the very next thing we see is Lot standing at the entrance, not to his city, but the entrance of his home, trying to fight off an evil mob. And understand the story here and the scenario. Verse 4 of chapter 19 tells us that all, all of the men of the city of Sodom were at Lot's house, both young and old. All the men were there. And again, understand what they were wanting to do. They were wanting to have homosexual relationships with the two men inside Lot's house. All of the men of Sodom. Lot was standing at the door of his house fighting off the wicked influence of the city. But, but you kind of get the impression that he is already so compromised <laughs> that he is really fighting a losing battle. Because what he does next is just so incredibly unbelievable to me, I can't even 
understand it, much less explain it. He offers his daughters to these depraved men. Verse 8, see now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please, let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Can you comprehend? I can't comprehend that. It, it, it just leads me to believe that, that Lot has lived in this sinful city so long and he has been constantly inundated with this evil philosophy that it has tainted his thinking. He's not thinking right. So I can't really explain it, but what I want to do is contrast that. Contrast what Lot is saying. But please don't do anything to this, these men. I understand. That's great. That, I'm, that's wonderful. Way to go, Lot. Way to stand up. But then at the same time and with the same breath, here, I've got two daughters. You can have them. You contrast that to Abraham, the godly uncle. Abraham is not trying to make some kind of deal with the devil like Lot was trying to do. Abraham was unwilling to compromise at all. He's praying for Lot and his family from far away. He's standing in the gap. He's interceding for the whole family. He's not willing to give any of them up. That's a man right there. That's a man of God. Genesis 18.25. Here he is. He, let me understand this. Abraham's talking to God here. He said... Far be it from you, God, to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And so here's, here is Abraham standing in the gap between the righteous judgment of God and a city that is entirely wicked and depraved. And he's going to bat for these wicked people because his family's there. God, if there's 50, would you save it? If there's 45, 40, 30, 20, how about 10, God? He's pulling out all the stops. He's begging with God. And we know from reading the New Testament that the righteous for whom Abraham was interceding was his own nephew Lot and his family. The fact is, listen to me, church, we need godly leaders in our home who are going to stand in the gap. We need godly leaders in our church and in our community. The battle is going to be won or lost dependent upon the strength of those leaders. Edmund Burke, the great British statesman, championed the cause of the American independence once wrote, all that is needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Think about that. All that's needed for evil to win is for good men like you and good women like you just to sit there and do nothing. So, we've got to look out for our families. I mean, we, we, we can't ever slack on this job, guys. We've got to be looking out for our families. Because you know what? Here's the deal. Every day the devil goes out and sets traps for your kids and your grandkids 
and your spouse and yourself. He's setting traps out there to snare you, to entice you. Why? Because his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. So we got to be looking. It was long before my day, but I like watching reruns of The Little Rascals. Huh? How about you? You like that? Does anybody even know The Little Rascals? Yeah. Okay. It's just a little gang of kids. They, 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 they originally started the He-Man Woman Hater Club, you know, that I think all young guys are a part of at some time in their life. But anyway, they, they've got some great shows. I remember watching one rerun where the little gang decided they wanted to help the local fire department. And so when a, when a fire broke out in town, they would rush to the fire. And they had their little fire engines, really makeshift little wagons turned into fire, and they tried to help the fire department. How did they know when there was a fire? Well, old alfalfa was stationed on top of a barn. Looking across the horizon. And when he saw smoke, he yelled down to the gang, There's a fire! There's smoke! And they would head off to the fire. He had a hat that he wore. Old Alfalfa had a hat. And on it, it said, Looker. L-O-O-K-E-R. I spelled it because I want you to understand. I'm saying Looker. Because I know how some of your minds think. It's a Looker. That was his job. He was the looker for trouble so that they could run to the rescue. Dads, moms, grandparents, listen to me. We better be those kind of godly lookers watching out for our family and our children. Number three, third lesson. The time for action is now. The, the angels told Lot to take action now, to get his family out of the wake of God's judgment now. Do it now. You can't wait. you got to go now. Take action now. And I think the Lord is saying to us today, don't hesitate. Take action now. Do the right thing now. Not tomorrow. Now. Start now. Do you hear that alarm from God? Wake up! Let me tell you something. Those people who live in central Arkansas around Vilonia, in that area, they, when they hear a tornado siren now, they're not going to hesitate. Many of you lived through the 96 uh, tornado here in the River Valley. I've heard stories from a lot of you. And you don't listen to tornado sirens the same now as you did before 96, do you? Do you hear God's siren going off? We are in a war. Take action now. Do something now. He's not calling you to go live in a cave. He's calling you to make a difference in our world. You know what? We must flee immorality. We are to avoid the very appearance of evil. We are to take action now. We need some men and some women, some grandparents to stand beside Joshua and say the same thing that he said in Joshua 24:15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river 
or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you do it. You know, I've been talking a lot about Mr. Lot, but there's another very important person in this story. I call her Miss Lot. You kind of get the impression that here's a woman who was not all that excited about leaving Sodom. Maybe she had a place of prominence there. I don't know, she, but she didn't want to leave. When the Angel Express whisked Lot and his family out of town, they were told, don't look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. Why? Well, I, I think it had to do with not just getting Lot and his family out of Sodom, I really think it had to do with getting Sodom out of Lot and his family. And it didn't work on her. Do you by chance know what Luke chapter 17.32 says? It's one of those short verses. In the English language, there's only three words that are used in Luke 17.32. It says, remember Lot's wife. Why would, why would the New Testament say that? Why, why would the Lord be saying that to us today? Remember Lot's wife. Well, this chapter in Luke chapter 17 is a warning about worldliness. Remember Lot's wife? She had a little too much of the world in her. Remember Lot's wife? But Luke chapter 17 is also a chapter about being prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. The Lord is going to return. Which direction are you looking? Miss Lot was looking the wrong way. Remember, Lot's wife. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now.